Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. Today is the 18th of June, 2016, and it is part two of our discussion of... uh, Cthulhu Safa, anthology edited by Scott Jones and published by Martian Migraine Press. As always, as you can tell, today I am Rodney, over there, hidden behind the lovely cover art for Cthulhu Safa, would be Steve. Hello. Hello. And over here, as always, Her Majesty. Adam Odysseus. Yes. yes. Say, say hello. Oh, and we lost Steve. Hello, my subjects. Oh, damn you. Come back. Well, you know what that means, Kim. <laughs> I slowly develop a cough. Do you want to run and get your notes like you did last time? <laughs> no, I don't have that excuse this time. I've got them in front of me, damn it. <laughs> darn, darn, darn. Damn. Oh, there he is. He's back. Hey, don't mind me. Don't mind me. That was, uh, you know, just hiding the camera so it doesn't affect me and my legal standing vis-a-vis the kid still being alive. But the kid is still alive. As far as you know. Yeah. All right, so uh, who wants to go first tonight? I'm going to let you guys choose. I normally, like, single out Kim <laughs> and make her go first. Yeah, you jerk. Um, I'm being a jerk. I'm doing what the audience suggested is drawing you into the conversation. Who suggested that? <coughs> who wants me? Who wants me? <coughs> God damn it. God damn it, James. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're going to start with Steve this time. Right. Oh, excellent. Impressions on the second half of the book. Um, still strong, actually. I liked about the same amount of stories as I liked in the first half. <laughs> so it continues on. Um, there was another. Each it's funny because each half had a story that I reread mm-hmm. because. I didn't know whether I liked it or not. Right. Which is odd. Usually I'll get one, if that, in an anthology, and this one gave me two. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I didn't not like any of the stories, and of course, this one has um, the centerpiece, the litany of Earth, which I'm right. sure we'll talk about a lot this evening. So um, we'll skip that and go right to, I thought, the best non-centerpiece story (laughs) was uh, Antinomia. Mm -hmm. I really liked that. That was the one I read twice, and I really liked it because you actually had to actively read it. You couldn't just sit there passively reading it. You had to go through and put the clues together. A lot of of the quote-unquote action happened in the subtext, right. which is always a sign of a good good story, I think. Not everything is spoon-fed. I have a lot of notes on that one, if you guys want to talk about that particular tale. Well, I had that one singled out as well, but uh, we'll, we'll, move on to, we'll move on to Kim real quick and, and get her initial impressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, so far, nothing really... Nothing really disappointed me in the second half. Um, as far as favorites, if we're skipping over the Litany of Earth, that was actually my favorite. But if we're skipping over that, I'm going to have to say Keys and Stranger Deserts. Mm. That was that was an interesting story. I thought it was, thought it was really well done. You know, both Robbie and I would have lost money on that. Really? Um, we had yeah. to pick for Harios Gamos. That would have been my second choice. We had you pegged. You're almost right. 
That must yeah, they are right next to each other in the in the table of contents. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I, I liked I liked Antinomia. Um, Keys in Stranger Deserts uh, is another one of those kind of stories that's like heavy, heavy on the atmosphere. Um, you know, just just the fact that there all all the the good stuff that story takes place in the middle of nowhere, and, and you get this kind of subversion of the typical Lovecraftian protagonist. Being the the bookworm at Miskatonic University. Well, she still was a bookworm. I liked the gradual degeneration of the the sanity of the main character as the, as the story went on. Right, and, and she started and, out as fairly coherent, fairly intelligent, and then as it just went on, she just started to lose it. Then her her partner got her hooked on drugs. Yeah. It's like you have have some oxycontin, motherfucker, and uh, have your visions, and we'll get started. Cause I'm I'm building me a church. How did um, what was her name? How did Adrian? Was it Adrian? Was that the uh, her partner's name? Uh, I think so. You know me, I'm terrible with names. Yeah, so am I. Mm. I can't remember the names of the actors in the TV shows. I'm not supposed to remember the names. Anyway, I want to know how, she, after the main character was being subjugated to her, the questioning for the theft of the Necronomicon, or the mm -hmm. attempted theft, how did, how did this woman get in as an authority figure to further question her? <laughs> I'm telling you, Miskatonic University, in, in literature and in games, has got to be the worst place ever to go to school because, I mean, they have no security. God forbid you're a woman at Miskatonic and you get raped. Mm. Because this place is ridiculous. <laughs> there are no women at Miskatonic in the rest, right? Well, apparently they are. They're awesome. <laughs> they do not exist. I know they're hanging around, but are not alone. <laughs> and yeah, the partner's name is Andre. Andre, sorry. I knew it was like a a, a name that could go either way for a male or female name. Correct. But yeah, I, I like that one. That was uh, that was really nice. A lot. The vision sequences were really cool. Um. That's the, that's the type of stuff I dig. I dig that's you know the mystical and the uh, almost surreal aspects of it. Antinomia I liked because it's one of those one of those stories, and it, we talked about this with Cthulhu Lies Dreaming. Um, the stories that really offered nothing by way of explanation. It's just kind of like. Here it is. Yeah, there it is. And and this anthology, Cthulhu Sapa, has given us two such stories of this is what happens, no real explanation given, and right. none really needed. It's Yeah, well, you still have to do some digging mm -hmm. uh, antinomia. I mean, there's like some, why do they shoot John? Well, not. I mean, I have a, I have a feeling that I know why they shot John, but I mean, it's not in the text. It's like he, John, gives some bullshit explanation of why they're there and what um, the, the girls doing there. I forgot her name. The other one that that channeled, mm -hmm. and then dawning realization on his face, <laughs> and one of the bodyguards takes out a gun and just shoots him in the face. Why? Because that's that's how it's done. Well, I think it's because he was working for uh, Pauly, or maybe because he was actually able to see the truth of it. Maybe I don't know because it mentioned he he mentions well no we saw you in town we saw you saw it come over you 
It's like that for Amy, too. It comes on her like that. So maybe right. he was one of those with the sight who could see something like that and see it for what it is. See, I think he was lying about seeing them. I think Polly saw them and told John and Amy to go follow them. Because, um, you know, they, Polly's pissed off at them. Polly was a believer and got frightened by the reality of it all. Maybe it was to get rid of Amy because she can channel too. Maybe eliminate the competition. See, and that's that's one of the great things about a story with no explanation is that there's a lot of maybes, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that any of them are the definitive explanations, and therefore all the explanations are equally true. Right. Um. Well, what's your take on it, Rodney? What's your true take? Uh, I didn't. I didn't analyze it. No. I, I I just read it and took it for what it was, and you know, and enjoyed it that way. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I did it. I I, I read it once. I didn't reread it to go back through and pick up little details and stuff like that. That's for subsequent rereadings of the book. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just read it and was just enjoying. Enjoying the vibe, really, afterwards, because uh, Emperor Eternal was the one before that, and it was definitely a, a a shift from the end of that story, because, you know, it, it, you could almost say it's like Emperor Eternal happened, and this, this is the world that grew out of that, possibly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're just, you're there, and you're toward, you're at the end. You're you're at the end of the world. This is the something that happens in the final days of Earth, or the final days of humanity. Rather. Now, speaking of the final days of humanity, what did you think of the wicked shall come upon him? Uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That was that was another story that really didn't have a whole lot of explanation. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, I mean, uh, thematically, it, it kind of ties into a couple of things I want to say about litany, so I'll, I'll save that when we get there. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say that the only one that, that I really didn't like was, was Heteros Gamos. Uh, yeah, I just, that body, body horror and that type of stuff really isn't my bag. Right, I, um, I I think that one could have been really good had it not gone so far into the body horror aspect mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I, I like the idea. Maybe the detail. No, I just like the idea of uh of of using the elite illusion mysteries as part of the mythos. I think that's a really clever idea, and. Like the whole um, Golden Dawn theory that all mythologies are all just iterations of each other mm-hmm. and that the, the ultimate truth lies buried beneath the, the layers and layers of culture. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. I just like, I don't particularly like um, <laughs> rammed in the butt by every goddess ever. <laughs> the, it's the tingle version of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the story itself had had parallels with uh, Mother's Nature in that you know mm-hmm. that the awakening came through and effectively a destruction of the physical body. Right. It was kind of like a, uh, Clive Barker esque. Yeah, yeah. There's the, I mean, both stories had a little bit of uh, a little bit of Hellraiser in it. We have such delights to show you. Right. Extreme pleasure and extreme pain meeting on the other side of the continuum. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I actually, that was um, the first story, you know, I had read the second half in, in two, two big chunks. And uh, Heroes Gamos was the first story I'd read in the second second chunk. 
And after I finished, I had to sit down for a couple hours and really think about what it was that, you know, because I knew I was going to come on and say, yeah, this wasn't my favorite story. And I had to think of why. And, and it really wasn't that, you know, it made me uncomfortable. It wasn't that it, you know, squicked me out or anything. It was just that generally in, in these types of body horror situations, the descriptions are so vivid, but the sequences are so protracted that you're just like, okay, can we get this over with? Right. You know, it, it, it becomes it becomes an exercise in tedium. That's really the only reason that it wasn't my absolute favorite. Because th there was a point when he said, okay, I get it, come on. Right. <laughs> I don't know how many times we have to read... The milky um, substance. Yes, we know. We know. We know. We've all been through it in the class. We know. We know. Yeah. But it was cool because. Is there, you know, is there something you want to tell us about your trip to Greece, Steve? <laughs> they had a lovely bunch of euros, and I like the juice. <laughs> <laughs> the juice is good, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, at least you didn't drink any of that uh, Penny Royal tea. Yeah, mm -hmm. that song played in my head for mm -hmm. the rest of the night after reading that one. Yep, that's funny. But actually, you know, um, because a lot of it had Greek words, mm -hmm. um, you know, since it's a, a digital edition, you get to look them up and go on. It's, it's a lot easier to research the stories when you're reading it on your iPad than if you're reading it in a book. Right. Book. right. So because then you can. It, it seemed. A feature. It seemed like the. Uh, it was what a well-researched story. Yeah, there was there were a lot of Greek words. There were some Sanskrit words thrown in there. Well, it wasn't just that they, he used the words, but like the concepts of the words, like mm -hmm. the Hieros Gamos itself is. Um, it's not the marriage between two gods. It's the marriage between a god and a goddess that is enacted uh, metaphorically through mortal players. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, physically. Right. So, it was oh, cool. Yeah. I, li I like the fact that a lot of people think that the Elysian mysteries um, involve the juxtaposition of the underground, the occult, and the visible, the overground, and I like the way that the author did juxtapose like the, the hidden and the visible throughout the story. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of well done. I just it was just the it it was the the tingle aspect. <laughs> it was just like okay enough. enough okay, so so what did you guys think of feeding the abyss? That one was fun. I liked that one. I like the fact that we have more than one mythos in that one. Where's that one? That was I right just, after I asked don't quite that. know what the motivation of the actual goddess was to have people do this for her. It's the mythos. Their motivations are beyond our understanding. And then we've got multiple like Lovecraftian concepts. Is that, that a, is that a... She's getting fed tidbits. Is that a drinking right. rule right there? If somebody says, that beyond your understanding. It should be. Everybody drink. That's an ad hoc rule. Does but, water um, count? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, once I got past the initial uh, <gasps> of sacrificing a dead baby. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. I, I, I was I, I kind of was enjoying the story. It's a good, damn good thing she sacrificed the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sacrificing of, her own body. Instead of the woman. Well, yeah, it wouldn't have been much of a story. Yeah, it would have comes, been a completely different story. Thanks comes back. <laughs> and we got the thing on the doorstep kind of thing going on. Now, see, if 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 the woman had been sacrificed and then she had kept the baby, and Dice had come back in the baby, you would have got this weird, like, look who's talking, who framed Roger Rabbit vibe. Mm. Uh, 
with with babies sitting there smoking cigarettes, going, "Hey, come on, we got to go find some more corpses to feed to feed uh, Chevy." Yeah, but then it would have made the relationship even weirder as it carried on. It would have. It's like it you know, would. you know, it's watching you when you're like undressing. You right. gotta, you gotta ask yourself: Is this like if you figure Daisuke has gone on forever, right? Mm-hmm. And if, how if many Daisuke times? Is not a real name. How many times this has actually repeated itself mm-hmm. throughout his her life? And then and now that Lily has taken over as the eternal one, mm-hmm. eventually she's gonna. You know, become selfish and fuck up yourself. Right, and 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 the process is going to start over. And you know, there's there is kind of that Highlander vibe going on there. Like they they know their own. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he knew what the deal was, or actually, she since Daisuke is a female soul, I guess. Yeah, you would have to Whatever. think that that Daisuke would have started out female because. It's it's shabby, right? Mm-hmm. It it really kind of like plays with the notion of of gender, since you know the eternal one just kind of transcends that because they can be anybody. Flesh right. is merely a vessel. Right. Well, and if you read um, Scott's book, mm-hmm. you know these are all. Concepts and it's the concept of fertility that we're talking about, right? Which traditionally has a female gender assigned to it, mm-hmm. right? So, but really, I mean, takes two to tango. This is true, and probably something something that removed would be a bit of both. Yeah, uh, that's. Uh, I think they actually made that point in uh, Mr. Johnson and the Old Ones. We should have done a a story by story deity count. How many, <laughs> how many times Shubby comes up? How many times Narlathotep shows his, his face? Those are the two big ones. You have yeah. a little bit of Yog Sopoth thrown in there for good measure. Right, and and of course, you know, you got the big C. Mm-hmm. The big shows C, up. the big C showed up, but not as often as you would think. Right. Well, no, the 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 big C only shows up, you know, really in passing. You know, it's right. not it's not one of these things like, um, you know, in in like say Cthulhu Live Streaming where where real yay and the big C show up. Right. More often, in this one, it, there there's a lot of Nyarlathotep because he is the one that actually interacts with humans the right. most. He's the face. Right. He's the one who actually notices us. And you get um, you shit. get Shubby showing up because you know Shubby is you know the the mother of a thousand young and stuff right. like that, oh. and she's just like this creator goddess. Right. Well, if if you think about um, Hyros Gamos. It's not just the the sex part of it, which is part of fertility, but it's also you know Demeter and Persephone. That story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about the earth dying and being reborn, and the crops that you need to eat right. are dependent upon your fertility goddess, not just right. your your progeny, but how you actually survive. Well, and 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 Shubby isn't just a fertility goddess. Shubby is also a, uh, a a Gaia type of goddess. You know, especially especially in Hieroskamas or Hieroskamas, however you want to say it. My Greek is awful. It's all anyway, she's she's in the earth. You know, she, more or less, she is the earth. Right. And you know, same with Mr. Johnson and the old ones. You know, they open the door and everything falls away, and and Shubby is at the center of the earth. Right. Well, even in uh, 
and feeding the abyss when they mm -hmm. got the truck around. Yep, they ride the, the truck around, around and she comes up hole. out of the earth in the form of a killer tornado. You get a big void there. A death nato. Dead. Death nato. Things. Yes, I eat corpses. Give me tasty morsels. <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of, I kind of like, I liked the uh, the kind of con aspect of it, where these guys, you know, they are not, you know, um, crime scene cleaners. They're not coroner's office. No, <laughs> they're just, they're just these two random people. Who who are collecting who corpses for the body and, and then them. Right, it's, it's like it's almost kind of you know it's almost the Men in Black in, in a way, because they just drive up and they're like, oh, just look like you know what you're doing. They drive up, they collect the body, you know, they look like they know what they're doing. They got their gloves, they got their body bags, we put it in, that. drive off. Nobody even thinks about it afterwards. And they even bring up the point that uh, that Shubby has an agent in the coroner's office. Because none of these bodies are ever reported missing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I wonder, I mean, with all this bureaucracy that Chevy sets up to get the job done, why would you even bother? I mean, why? Yeah, why not just uh, go directly to the morgue? Just take it. I mean, you know. Well, because you feel that inner drive to go to up. the body, you know. There is that pull that the goddess uh, instills in you that... Right, I'm saying that, that she I, why would she bother just stick a stone hand up, grab the body from the wreck, and drag it down and eat? Well, because there's always this, brought to you. Who doesn't like breakfast in bed? Well, there's also this aspect of, you know, that this entire world, you know, is just under the surface of our own. You know, it has that kind of, you know, urban fantasy trope going on. That probably came from, you know, the original pulp weird authors. That you know, your it's your life here, and then this is what's really going on, right? Just under the surface, and then there's that occultation going on. <clears throat> and you know, of course, that's that's, that's one of the most common Lovecraftian themes is that the world is not what you think it is. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's really kind of the theme of the Black Gnosis itself. Is like you know the veil dropping from your eyes and, and seeing seeing the truth. Um, let's see. We've done that one. Done that one, done that one. After Randolph Carter. I couldn't figure that one out. I, I well, one. Like I was saying before we started, I think it's an invocation and a dismissal of H.P. Lovecraft. Randolph yep. Carter himself the character was the avatar for Lovecraft mm -hmm. is writing. And yep. the story is basically saying question everything and then he goes to the throne of Randolph Carter. Right. And it turns into a hollow um, what is it exactly? It was a hollow a hollow funnel. Mm-hmm. A slender stone with no clear purpose, carved in yellow petrified wood. And he basically says that, uh, you don't know me, Carter. Mm -hmm. I think yep. that's just... Yep, you get kind of the... And I, I kind of I, I kind of like how that was the, the final line of the book. Yeah, is that, that we cool. have gone... There, There is a meta-narrative in the arrangement of these stories. And, you know, it is kind of, you know, in one way it it parallels in some ways uh, to Scott's personal journey that you read about in the introduction. Um, it's also kind of an overview of the Lovecraftian community and, you know, certain aspects of it anyway because there, you know, there are some aspects of the Lovecraftian community that wouldn't get past where we're still like on story three or story four and, and it's just stagnated there. But you also get this this uh, flow going through and, and starting from very traditional Lovecraftian fare all the way up to you know that final line of 
you know, you don't know me, Randolph Carter, and and the uh, the avatar of Lovecraft getting kind of a brush off at the end. And it's like we're we're past you. Right. You know, everything you discovered in the Dreamlands. You know that's that's ancient history. You are not the king of this type of direct experience anymore. Get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, I did. I laughed actually when I read that last line because that was that was really funny. Um, you know what? A lot of these stories have a sense of humor to them. Mm-hmm. And I thought the funniest of them all. This will serve as the segue. Was the centerpiece the litany of Earth? Mm-hmm. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Litany of Earth. Of course, this is the the crown jewel. This is the hope diamond of this book. Um, Scott even said it himself when we were interviewing him that um, the entire inspiration for Cthulhu Sapa was Litany of Earth. Right. And uh, and, and it is. The, and I remember reading it years ago over on tour, or however long it was. I don't remember. Time is an illusion. Lunchtime, doubly so. It's a flat circle, dude. Everyone knows that. We've opened that for you, two years. Fuck you, Pizzicato, or whatever your name is, and, and fuck you, Matthew McConaughey. Russ Cole is fucking the dude for hipster nihilists. As opposed to the dude for just hipsters. <laughs> yes. He's just he's a dude, man. I'm not a big fan of Lebowski. Sorry. Well, I'm not a big fan of fucking Rust Cole. So. <laughs> well, R- R- Rust Cole. Anyway, you slice it. Rust Cole can derelict my balls. <laughs> And I should have been drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon when I said that. Cutting up the can. Um, yeah, the thing that stands out to me about the Litany of Earth is that it is so tonally different from every other weird story I had read up to that point. And even even in the context of this book, it is tonally different. Yes. Because we see... A deep one who, you know, these these folks are, are treated as monsters. And and Emerus writes it humanizes her, I for lack of a better word. She writes it straight. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is you know, it's like deep ones are just folks, man. It's it's funny because you, you, you go on the internet and you see a lot of extremists talking about. I'm talking about Christian extremists, Muslim extremists, Jewish extremists, spouting out of their assholes about all sorts of crap. Mm-hmm. And that is the face of most religions to most people outside of that religion are the loud people screaming. Mm-hmm. Not and most of this book is the loud people screaming. Mm-hmm. For, for better or for worse. This is the, the cat that goes to church every week, puts her money in the collection plate, listens to the sermon, goes home, plays with her kids, lives her life, goes to her job, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't bomb an airport, doesn't, doesn't shoot up a mosque. Right. This is just the normal... The nice kind, in other words. Just the normal person who happens to be an anist. Right. And that's what it's from. But but you take it from the perspective that she's also part of an oppressed people. Mm-hmm. And, and there you go. That's how... Very, very much so. Goes. I mean, they, they, they open up with the comparison of what happened in Innsmouth to what happened to the Japanese Americans during World War II. Well, I think she was interred with Japanese Americans. Yep, yep. The, 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 the deep ones, the, the Innsmouth residents, were in the camps first. The camps are built for, for deep ones. 
or, or hybrids. And the ja they just kind of stuck the Japanese folks in there with them because, hey, you know, all this stuff, which can't let the shirt go to waste. There's a war on. That's right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you had that, and you had that, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of camaraderie there between between Marsh and and Mama. And Mama is a great character. I, I love her. The the matriarch of the family. Right. The Japanese family that she's yeah, that she's staying with. And you know, she's like you know, Marsh comes back after meeting with the weird folks and and she's all like panicked and stuff like that and Mama's like, We ain't going nowhere. You just sit your ass down. You're going to eat dinner. You're going to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And, and, and it was just like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, I, you know, those, those kind of characters are always kind of fun because they, they're, they're down to earth. They're, you know, that's real people right there. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, I think thematically, in, in, in the context with all the other stories, you know, Litany of Earth kind of gives you, like, the the pinnacle of understanding the, the idea behind the, the, the Aeonist religion. You know, up until this point, you're only getting a partial understanding where... Well, you're getting the freaks, is what you're getting. Yeah, well, you're getting, you're getting the freaks, but you're getting, you're getting these people that, that they, they they see it and you know they see the uh, the end they, they they understand that you know doom is coming and you have one group that is there trying to hasten the end and other people you know who are like ah you know and, and you get to kind of this like as I mentioned before with Russ Cole the the hipster nihilism that oh yeah it's all gonna end you know yeah. fuck it all blah 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 I mean, but you, you know all the, the, the just the stories in here, mm -hmm. with the possible exception of the character Johnson, mm -hmm. they're all the fucking people who are going to strap the bombs to their bodies and, mm -hmm. and go to the Boston Marathon. Right. That's, and that's what you you have like the extremists. Mm -hmm. And here, here you have just the woman who is rightfully angry at her oppressors, mm -hmm. because, I mean, they, mm -hmm. you know, from her perspective, they fucked her. Leave all the white German people out. You know, um... Piss anybody off. Well, yeah, and... and but and, she's and, not, but she's not summoning Cthulhu to, to devastate no. the people who wronged her. She's just trying to live her life. Right. right. And you get that, you get that a little bit, you know, the the one of the first characters you meet who actually quote unquote gets it is Robert Johnson. Right. You know, but you know, that's that's not really the purpose of the story. Robert Johnson, you know, they give him this kind of almost almost this kind of Zen master kind of thing going on. Where, you know, he's he's there, he's he's playing his guitar because it's a noise to piss out of HP Lovecraft. You know, but in general you know, his he's not freaking out. He's not this raving lunatic. He's just kind of like, well, that's how it is. And and you get then you get to Marsh, who as a, as a deep one, with functional immortality, especially in in comparison to human beings, you know, gets it and gets it, but gets it on a different level. And you see that with the the human cultists that she interacts with. Um, one, I, I I stopped when I stopped reading the story. I was thinking, and <clears throat> the litany of Earth itself, with you know, just the idea of it, and and the big reveal is that you know everything's going to end, that it, that it's all going to end, and it. For me, it brought back, you know, one of the last lines in the Mahaparana Nirvana, and that all composite things are impermanent. And then, um, but that that big reveal, mm -hmm. really much of a reveal 
No, it's not. Because in the context of, of Lovecraft, well, that's the whole point of his fucking stories anyway. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the standard plot. Yeah, else. but... And then in the context of reality, like, you know, the flat circle part, you know, eventually the sun's going to go poof, and the Earth will be ended. Yes, but see, there will be a heat death of the universe, and everything will be ended. So it's not a huge, it's not a big reveal at all. It's not a big reveal, and it's not the point. It's it's pretty mundane, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever said that the big cosmic truths of the universe were something exciting. Well, you know, you know that's that. that's what we're getting. That's what we're getting in the well, early other protagonists in this story said that. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's why I say they have they have an incomplete understanding. And and you get to Marsh and you're hinted at it with Robert Johnson, you get to Marsh and Marsh has a more full understanding of what's going on. And yeah, it's like cosmicism and this is something that, that I thought of way back when, you know, I, I started hanging around in, in you know on the outskirts of this community. You know, is that cosmicism? Yeah, cosmicism is, you know, the Buddha going outside and having his three experiences, and that's the end of it. You know, understanding, you know, impermanence and non-self and 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 suffering, but and and they just end it right there. You know, with with Marsh, you know, she understands that. She understands that that it's all going to end, even the deep ones with their extreme longevity are eventually going to end. But she's not out there trying to hasten it because that's not the point. It's going to happen regardless. She also knows so, that she can't hasten it because she's talking, well, her mother is talking to Yithians. Right. The Yithians know you know, what happened. are out there they already know. with their mastery of time. Um, you know, and yeah, it's this is just the way it is. And, you know, What's the important thing? The important thing is what you do right now. You know, you don't bother with it on the cosmic scale because you can't do anything about it. However, you hunt down the person, or the, I think they, they mentioned the Yithian, who is out there using that power for their own gain. Or the humans who are out there using the power for their own gain. Well, and then it's funny because she does the right thing. Mm-hmm. And she does it for, you know, really humanity, for her, right. her humanness. She does mm-hmm. the right thing by dropping the dime on the fake cultists who, whose ultimate goal is to try and drown themselves because they don't know. Because they think they could become immortal, which they can't. Yeah, and they, they, they don't know that they can't. They think, they think she's trying to, to hold on to the secret. For her herself and oh, her. Oh, you're not worthy, you you puny little mortals. When really she's just like, I'm sorry, it's just biology. Yeah. yeah. This is just how this is just you know, it's no big secret, man. It's humans are one thing, deep ones are another thing, and this this is just how it is. You can't you know, you can't fault me for my nature and and I won't fault you for your nature. Your nature is both of our natures are the same. We're both transient on this earth. And and ultimately, there your humans are just a little more transient. Well, there's three races of humans, or three types of humans. She had mentioned there's mm-hmm. ones of the earth, ones of the sky, and ones of the water. Right. That's true. That's true. They they mentioned they mentioned the deep ones as actually being human. Right. Which is which is another way of another way they subvert the usual deep one trope where they're just like. Rah. Shambling fish monsters, right? Hopping along, we're looking at you, Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, but Alan Moore's deep ones are Chuck Tingle deep ones. <laughs> oh, ouch! <clears throat> I gotta remember that. And <laughs> in the butt. Has Alan no one written that yet? <laughs> Why am I bothering to go after Joshi when I should just be going after Alan Moore? Punch. Yeah. Please. 
really high. Yeah. Why not just go after both? You got two fists. That's true. I got mm -hmm. some feet, too, so I could stick Grant Morrison and a Lovecraftian who shall be unnamed at this point. <laughs> hey, leave Grant Morrison out of this, man. Grant, Grant Morrison is my haircut, brother. <laughs> Alan Moore's your beard, brother. <laughs> Cracky! <laughs> the best thing about... <laughs> the best thing about Alan Moore is... This cracking good beard! So, so yeah, I mean, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you have you have these 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 folks who the truth is revealed to the the truth with capital T is revealed to them, and they grasp at it and they use it to seek power and immortality and 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 things like that. And they just they're not getting it, and then you get to the, the litany of Earth, and you're getting Marsh. And she's just like, yeah, it's that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, even her ideas on magic, you know, are are you know, different than you see elsewhere. Well, her her magic is inward. Mm-hmm. It's it's introspective. It's meditative. It's you know, it's using it to see the truth itself, rather than using it as a means to an end. I mean, she even mentions, you know, that there are certain spells. To mimic what Yithians do, you know, by the nature of them being Yithians, and you know, she's like, it's not hard, but it's wrong. And the other thing is that in in that story, the deities are distant, mm -hmm. just like in in reality. Right. In that story. Cthulhu could possibly exist. Cthulhu could possibly not exist. Right. Schrodinger's Cthulhu. Do what you will with the gods, but the history is true. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but, in, you know. and in comparison to the rest of everything, you have Shubby showing up and swallowing dead people or Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. You have Nyarlathotep sending his hordes to, to a to save libraries so that he can destroy the everything. Uh, you you have. I can see myself doing something like that actually. You have. You just have like interference and a presence that just isn't part of the real world. Right. And in in the litany of Earth, that's reflected because mm -hmm. that presence isn't there. The closest you come to the big C is a statue. Right, right. It's you know, again, you know, to draw the to draw the parallel to Buddhism, and I, being that this is Cthulhu Sattva and it's based on the idea of Bodhisattva, um, you know, to draw that, that's that's kind uh, of the way. Anthology based on the Steely Dan song. Sorry. Sorry. Don't hit don't hit me. I can't hit you. I I ain't worried about it. Good try. It was, it was a good joke. It's a it's an it's an anthology based on a stolen concept from a band named after a dildo in a William Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> and we but, all know what happened to that dildo. But you know the, the the parallel with Buddhism here in, in in Litany of Earth and and I and interestingly that's it's it's also um, you know kind of you see a little bit in there with the interaction between Marsh and, and Mama you know as I'm sure Mama is a is a Buddhist herself being Japanese um, you know they never really say. But their mindsets are similar, and and I do see the parallels in the story. And yeah, it's you know the big C. Uh, maybe he's real. Maybe he's not. That's not really the point of, of this whole thing. Is you know, it's just keep keep looking inward. 
you know, and that's the magic that she teaches everyone. The first magic she teaches everyone is essentially meditation, looking inward. You know, um, in in a lot of ways, it's kind of the um, the the what was it, Socrates? Know thyself, or was it? That was Shakespeare. Okay, Shakespeare. Or, or the unreflective life is not worth living. That was Socrates. 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 But yeah, I mean, the, the, there's that parallel that, that the gods don't really matter because that's not the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise is you, you realize the truth, you look inward, and you, you progress from there. And and it's that that you get to the, the cosmicism aspect, you know, is just that that point of you know, <gasps> you know, it's all going to end eventually. You know, the big revelation that's not the big revelation, and people run with that, and they they think it's the end, the means to the end, and and Marsh, you know. Throughout the entire book, really, is the only character who says, "No, that's just part of it. That's you know, put that behind you now, because now that you figure, now that you've known the truth about that, and, and she relays this huge truth, quote unquote, and you know, as just kind of like you know, rattling off a menu at a restaurant, right? And nobody can handle it, right?" Because it's you know it's it's an understanding that people really don't come to in real life. So you, um, can, you can intellectually know that billions billions of years it's all over. Mm -hmm. But think about how long that is, and how long you are. Right. To drop well, we only live for like half a millisecond or. It's not going to affect you all that. Yeah, in, in deep time, you know, would your drop of water in the ocean, if that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's that, and that's where I think the flaw in cosmicism is, is that it it goes up to that point, and 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 it stops. Well, I think a lot of cosmicism brings that timeline and shrinks it down to be more mm -hmm. immediate. And if that timeline were more immediate, yes, it's a little bit more scary. Yeah. If everything is going to end tomorrow, mm -hmm. that's a lot more scary than, oh, yeah, the sun's going to burn out in 10 billion years. Right. Whatever the number is. And, and you know, there's, there's also that parallel with uh, Sagan's speech, the pale blue dot. You know, where he goes through and he, you know, illustrates exactly, you know, where human history is. And, you know, and it's like the standard Lovecraftian thinking, the, you know, the eat me first Cthulhu mentality that pervades a lot of the fiction. You know, it stops at that revelation. But the bigger message to... Anism, the pale blue dot, is always that that pause right at the end of the speech. You know where he says, "Okay, now you've got the perspective. What are you going to do?" And that's that's left unspoken. Although I think I think Sagan may have enunciated it a little bit. It's been a while since I've listened to the speech, and and it goes from there, and it really kind of. You know, that's where the final two stories also come in. You know, the the wicked shall come upon him is, yeah, okay, the truth of the world is right up in your face. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's so horrible that your your boyfriend has just freaked out and, and – or your husband, excuse me, they were married. Your husband has freaked out, and he's gone off, and he's sleeping with every other dude he can find. And he's leaving you alone. The and, world's going to end, and your biggest concern is fidelity. Right. The world's going to end, and your biggest concern is fidelity. 
what if I can take that away from you? And, but he didn't really like willingly accept it being taken away, and she right. couldn't take it away. Right. He truly right. didn't want. Uh, and you know, in the end, even in a, a universe of uncaring cosmic entities, you and me. We're just humans, and mm -hmm. we're not going to lose the, those things that make us humans, and the, the wanting to be loved, and being selfish about mm -hmm. who, our loves and who we give our love to. That that's just what makes us human. Not the only thing, but it is part of our culture. Well, and that, and you you have the parallel of. In the face of oblivion, you know, humanity kind of goes into this the, the desires of the flesh. The you know, going back to me, the animal nature. Going back kind of to the they animal use their nature. High give me just go back to primal lust. You know. Well, yeah, sensory stimulation. You know, um, experience. Just give me all of this stuff. Right. You know, right now, right now, right now. Ugh, just fill my brain with it. Touch my skin. You know, I mean, he even says, you know, the world is ending. Why don't? Why not just fuck as many people as we can while we still can? Mm -hmm. He even says that in there. And and he's he's given, you know, the husband is given into this this, you know, desire. And, but in the end, it's just this. It ends with the perfect moment. Um, you know, that's you know the the right now. You know, being absolutely perfect is is a common spiritual theme in Zen, and this story kind of illustrates that. That's why I wanted to hold off on it until we brought it in with Litany of Earth. Is that all of this stuff happens? You know, yeah, I want to forget about it. Yeah, this that, but it all came down to the that moment right when everything ended was just. A perfect now, and then and then the world ends. Should be And it's that's that's what makes it work. And, and you know, and then you had the wicked the wicked shall come upon him, or not after after Randolph Carter, where you know the spirit of Lovecraft and and cosmicism itself, being that Lovecraft was the proponent of cosmicism, gets the brush off. Yeah, you you know, they, don't know me right now, Carter, so fuck you. Right. Exactly. You don't know me. You don't know why I'm here. You know, why I'm not listening to your instructions. I'm following my own path here. You know? And so, yeah, and that's the perfect way to, to, to end the book. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. So, as we said in the first episode, you know, Buy, buy this book. Mm -hmm. Buy this book. It is. It's not just a collection of stories. It is, in in some ways, a a bit of a a bible, if you will, for you know, relay and thinking and and the black gnosis and and various parallels with with mystical traditions, you know, from around the world. Um, Entertaining storytelling, you know, the stories are arranged brilliantly. You know, Scott, you know, I'd say he was a genius, but I'm in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this, this, this book gets two thumbs up from me. I, I'm going to say, I, I said my expectations in the first episode, my expectations had not quite been met. And I, by the time I got to the final line in the book, uh, right there, you know, right, right with what I was, I was looking for. And uh, yeah, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, a rare five stars, two thumbs up. Go out and buy this book immediately. Jim. Yeah, I'm on par with you there. Two thumbs up, and. A big toe. And a big toe. Oh my God. Yes. 
How can I stop? Put it behind my head. How put your put your toes on camera, Steve. I, the only way I can top that is to to invoke Chuck Tingle, I guess. <laughs> this is I'm not the con. We're not talking about the conqueror womb here. We're talking about Cthulhu. <laughs> um, I will say that this is an important anthology, um, and it it makes a statement itself as a meta narrative of the new weird. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of people and there are a lot of the same people. You don't see a lot of the same people in this anthology. Yeah, there's there's a there's a significant number of uh, of new writers in this anthology as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. So or or unknowns that aren't yeah. in the the, the usual old, suspects. Well they're not the old guard, they're not the new weird. Mm -hmm. This is a third category. Right. And I'm saying, A, it's important because it's giving people that you've never heard of, or I've never heard of, um, a chance to be heard. And B, it's basically telling the other camps. <laughs> you've For those who are listening later on in the podcast, Steve is holding up his middle thumb. Here's middle finger. His middle thumb. Yes, I, I am a deep one. I have a middle phone. <laughs> That's right. So, you don't yeah. know me, Carter. You don't know me you at all, know. Carter. Well, and that's the thing. is like it's telling both camps. Mm -hmm. You've missed the point entirely. Right. The point isn't to continue on in the same vein with new voices who aren't Racist and sexist, which don't get me wrong, that's great too. But we can even move beyond that. Right. We can we can re reshape the the mythos as we see fit, and actually make a positive expression of it, rather than just focus on the horror, the nasty, the violence, and bleh. and you know. Blood, guts, and gore, and veins in your teeth. The horror, the horror. That stuff's fine too. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's fine. Great. But there's more to it. Yes. There, there are avenues to be explored that go far beyond just horror. horror. And and honestly, the the avenues that are just the horror. I kind of feel. Sometimes like Kurtz reading that stuff. Well, oh, here it comes again. Oh, here comes the big monster. Here's the big monster. Can mm -hmm. eat people? Right. <laughs> the monsters in your dreams. What are you gonna do? <laughs> and sometimes I like that, but sometimes you want a little bit more than than just your monster of the week. Mm -hmm. Pick, pick, this that, pick a name with a shitload of consonants and make it as big as a house if you go. Right. And and seeing it all of a sudden, you're just like, ah, I'll never get tenure at Miskatonic University now. No. The I horror. Think, I think it's pretty easy to get tenure at Miskatonic University. I think I'm going to sit on the couch tomorrow and eat ice cream all day. Ooh. You know, fuck your Necronomicon's unsprackin' curtain. I've got Rocky Road, you bastards. Yes. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it a couple thumbs up as well. A couple of webbed hands. Yeah. Yes, yes. Two tentacles up. Hey. Oh. No. I, I seem to recall trying to get a story into this anthology, but now that I've read what what made it there ahead of me, I, I don't blame them for not picking my crappy little story. I like what I read here. I really do. So, Scott, keep them coming. Keep them coming. We're waiting for 2017, man. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that that about wraps it up. I think we we spent an hour on the on the last half. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I spent an hour on the last half. Oh yes. Yeah, so I kind of ended up dominating the the last half of the discussion. It's always all about you. It's always all about me. Of course. That's why I'm the first voice you hear. And the last. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna we're gonna call it quits there. And uh, let's see, Monday night will be harvesting, I think. Uh, no, it's no, cliff just, phase. Yeah, we were just doing harvest. No, no, no. See, we had decided that if we can end this chapter of harvest, we were going to mm-hmm. do it again so we can be caught up, and then we'll start mm-hmm. doing every other. Okay. Okie dokie. Whatever. You guys got to keep up with, the, with what's going on over there. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, our attention, I think. I think if it's going to be a quick phase, Wesley's going to be very surprised because he was very happy that he would have another week. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so it's not a clip phase. We'll be doing a time to harvest on Monday, uh, 9.30 Eastern Daylight Time. Friday night, they'll be back with more Friday Fungi. Mm -hmm. And next Saturday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, we will be talking about Preacher. Or, preacher. as Steve likes to say, quote-unquote, preacher. Air quote, <laughs> So, until then... It is the Judge Dredd of TV shows. I am the law. So, until then, everybody say goodnight, Chris. It happens to